the Advent and Christmas season is a time of longing and satisfaction. It's a time of fasting and feasting. Allowing ourselves to be formed in that way, I think, allows us to see the beauty and wonder and the gift of Mm. the coming of Christ for what it really is for us. Mm. Welcome to Christ and Culture, the podcast of the L. Russ Bush Center for Faith and Culture at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. Here we'll explore how the Christian faith intersects all avenues of today's culture through conversations with leading thinkers. Welcome to the conversation. Hey everyone, my name is Benjamin Quinn. And I'm Ken Keefley. Today on the Christ and Culture podcast, we will talk with Dr. Warren Kinghorn from Duke University and Divinity School about caring for people during the holiday season, especially those for whom the holidays are a rather sad time. After that, we'll have another edition of the listener favorite segment on my bookshelf. But first, it's time for our segment called Headlines, in which we look at some aspect of the headlines like news, sports, pop culture, our business, from a Christian perspective. And in today's edition of Headlines, I suspect that we're going to generate some conversation. Let's talk about Christmas. Hey everyone, I'm Nathaniel Williams, editor and content manager here at the Center for Faith and Culture, and this year, Christmas falls on a Sunday. And some churches are facing increasing pressure to adjust their schedules to accommodate family gatherings. So, how should Christians navigate Christmas? Well, we want to talk with our own Ken Keithley, Benjamin Quinn. In addition to serving with the CFC, both of them also serve local churches. Tell us a little bit about the churches you serve, where they're located, and what the culture is like in that situation. I'm at a church in Spring Hope, North Carolina. It's kind of right at the intersection of Bunn, Lewisburg, Spring Hope, or right on that edge, uh, called Holly Grove Baptist Church. We're a church of about any given Sunday. We have 130, 140 people have been there for well over, over 100 years and very much a, a rural country Baptist church. I am the interim pastor at First Baptist Church in Pinehurst, which, of course, is in the Sand Hills region. First Baptist Church is, a, is an established church of, I would say, three to four hundred, maybe more. And it, um, I say it's established, even though it is a relatively young church. Mm. Uh, and it is a church that has, uh, we have multiple services and uh, multiple styles of worship and a, a, and a diverse congregation. And I'm the pastor of a little church called Cedar Rock First Baptist Church, not that far from Dr. Quinn's church. It's in a little town community called Castalia, North Carolina. We have about 60 to 70 on a Sunday And so here's the conversation. What do we do about Christmas falling on a Sunday? Our bent was to have worship service like always. Now, we adjusted the schedule a little bit. We're having a little bit earlier schedule uh, worship service, 1030 as opposed to 11. We're not having Sunday school, but, you know, it's Jesus' birthday. I feel like we should gather together as a church. That's kind of our bent. What what are you guys doing in your churches? So you did change things, though. We did change things slightly. You changed the worship time? Slightly. And yes. you got and you you disposed of the Sunday school. We did. We uh, dispose is a harsh you, word. You put, we, well, <laughs> uh, I was reading what you had here. Uh, accommodated to pressure. So anybody who changes is accommodating to pressure. Is that what you're going to say, my dear brother? I feel like you're laying your cards on the table here a little bit. How how have you all accommodated in your church? Well, as I mentioned, uh, First Pinehurst has multiple services. And so, like a lot of churches will do, uh, we are going to consolidate the services. We would generally have a Saturday night service, an early Sunday morning, and a, an 11 o'clock service. So, looking at, you know, 
what would work best in terms of being able to worship together as a community. Uh, we've decided to expand what would have been a rather short Christmas Eve service on Saturday night and expand it to a full hour, like uh, it would be a traditional worship service on Sunday morning. Uh, in fact, we will, in addition to having what would be a candlelight service, we're going to have a sermon, the Lord's Supper, and then the candlelight portion. And so we will be having a worship service on Christmas. It will be that night before. We will be broadcasting the Saturday night service, which is a full hour-long service, uh, on Sunday morning on Facebook. Okay, so for clarity, your service is on Saturday night before Christmas and then broadcasting on Sunday morning. Only if you think like a a Gentile. (laughs) Because according to to a Hebraic way of thinking, the day begins at dusk the previous night. And so as soon as the, the sun sets, that's Sunday. So when someone asks you, are you having service on Christmas, you're going to say yes. Sure, I just did. <laughs> to clarify the positions <laughs> to here, clarify the Nathaniel's positions. church is having uh, worship on Sunday. On Sunday, yes. Dr. Keithley's church is having worship on Saturday, but still Christmas according to a Jewish mindset. Yes. Well, when was, I mean, you said it was his birthday. I think you want to clarify that and say <laughs> we're celebrating his birth. It, we're celebrating his birth. We don't. Yeah. Well, we don't know. So we don't know. Was. We don't so know. Therefore, it could have been on Christmas Eve. I guess. Sure. It could. It yeah. could have been yeah. in August, like <laughs> a lot of people think. So, okay. What's Holly Grove doing? We're actually not changing anything, and I'm not trying to take a pure okay. position. Okay. Although I, I do think. I mean, if to put don't my you cards, feel just slightly superior at this moment? <laughs> I do just a little. bit. <laughs> Although Nathaniel's the one wearing the Georgia Bulldog shirt, but we will, we'll leave that uh, to the side for now. But. Um, we're actually not changing anything. So our, our Sunday school, we, we call them equipped classes. They run in kind of semester models. So this past Sunday was the last Sunday to have equipped classes. Our service starts at 1030. We won't be having Sunday school or equipped classes until January again anyway. So on the Sunday of Christmas Day, um, we'll have our service at 1030 and that'll be it. Dr. Keithley's church and my church, we're doing something uh, to varying degrees different around Christmas than we typically would. Dr. Quinn's church is doing the exact same thing. Would we not still agree, though, that there is perhaps more cultural pressure, whereas before I would say there was cultural pressure to go to church on Sunday uh, for Christmas or whatever, that today there is cultural pressure in the opposite direction. Would we not agree with that? Yeah, for sure. You know, we've talked about this some. It, it's it's interesting that for whatever reason, this year that Christmas has fallen on Sunday it seemed to be a bigger deal for churches to cancel or to accommodate or change because than, this I, than I've ever Because this is the first noticed. time this has happened, right? Not, not clearly. By a long I mean, shot. clearly, all the time. So, and of course, I'll, I'll be honest, I remember as a kid being disappointed when Christmas would land on, on uh, Sundays because I didn't want to go to church. I wanted to stay home. And yet now as a pastor, I think, it's, I think it's actually wonderful. I almost wish it were every year, just like Easter is always rightfully on a Sunday. I wish that Christmas could be the same because it's so appropriate to gather for worship. And it does seem to me there's there seems to just be more cultural pressure to change it up, to accommodate it. And, and I hear, personally, I hear the arguments from both sides. I get that. But at the end of the day, um, I would, it, it's, thankfully, it's not an issue at my church. Nobody's, nobody's asked us to change anything. But if it were, I would, I would probably put my foot down on that and say, listen, if you guys want to stay home, that's, that's on you. We're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday. It's not about me. It's not about my kids. This is a day that honors Christ, and we're going to do that with the body. I don't think any of us are talking about canceling church, 
period. That's that's none of us right, are thinking right, of right, that. Right. Uh, and, and I don't think any of us would, would, would be in favor of doing something like that. We all understand, as you just said, you, we've described three very different types of churches, uh, whether they're rural churches or they're uh, churches in a town, churches that are made up primarily of, of senior citizens versus a church that has transitional community, which has members who their parents live off and away. And so depending on the church, depending on the situation, I can think of uh, some churches. I'm thinking of uh, uh, Summit Church that well, they even have a worship service on Thursday night, which you don't think of that as being something that, you know, OK, uh, how does that work? Well, in their context, it does where they'll have the service on uh, there. Some will have it on Thursday. Some they'll have a couple of services on Saturday. Um Depending on the situation, I think that there is a particular, there, there's a certain amount of latitude that we want to have here for wisdom and discretion, but I think we all agree that Christ needs to be the first during this holiday season. Yeah, for sure. Hey, you know, if, if, if it came to uh, our church considering making an adjustment, I don't have any, I don't, I don't have any beef about somebody's made an accommodation. You guys went from 11 to 1030 not doing Sunday school. That doesn't bother me at all. If, uh, you know, if there was a a group in our church that said, hey, could we do Sunday night instead of Sunday morning? I, I wouldn't have any beef about that either. I, I realize that there's pros and cons and all of these. And of course, some from, folks, a, from a Hebraic way of thinking, then that, that would no be longer, my, I, I realize this. I realize. <laughs> but I also recognize um, we do live in a, a generally transitional, uh, transient location. A lot of people have to go out of town uh, to visit with family. And I, for me, I suspend judgment. Whether you're there or not, I don't think that you're better or lesser. Than, I'm not even thinking about that. It's really more about this is a day. This is Sunday, first of all. And this is also, it just happens to land on the day that we set aside to remember Christ's birth. What better time to do that and what better people to do it with than the body of Christ? The Christmas season is joyful for many, many reasons, but not for everyone. In fact, as I was just Telling my friend Nathaniel here, as well as Dr. Kinghorn, Christmas is my favorite time of the year for, for all the many and great reasons. But at the same time, as a pastor, as a neighbor, as a friend, uh, I'm increasingly reminded that the holidays can be uh, the gloomiest time for some people, for those who have lost loved ones, or for those who have no family, or for those for whom their memories of the holidays are just complicated. So today we're delighted to have again with us Dr. Warren Kinghorn back onto the podcast. He is a psychiatrist whose work centers on the role of religious communities in caring for persons with mental health issues and on ways in which Christians can engage these practices of modern health care. Now, Dr. Kinghorn, you have a very long title that I've tried to read a couple times and have messed it up. I'm just going to say Dr. Kinghorn uh, works and teaches at Duke University, both in the medical center and also in the Divinity School. He oversees the initiative that's called the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative, uh, which is extremely exciting and very creative, the kind of work that you guys do there, um, as well as teaches in the areas of pastoral and moral theology. Among many other things, Dr. Kinghorn, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks so much for having me back on. It's really an honor to be here. Thank I you. I do have to say for our listeners, for someone with such a long title, uh, he seems very delightful just to be Warren. And not <laughs> exactly. Doctor That's right. And all these other things. So thank you for being just a delightful human being. Dr. Keenhorn, first, just tell us about your work, um, what you do, why you do what you do. Uh, just give us a little more background there. Yeah, I'm a psychiatrist at the VA hospital in Durham. Uh, I take care of veterans and an outpatient psychiatry clinic. And that's a really important part of what I do. I'm also trained as a theologian, and I teach at Duke Divinity School. 
I co-direct an initiative called the Theology, Medicine, and Culture Initiative that exists to connect the world of healthcare and the world of Christian faith. We especially invite clinicians to be formed in a seminary setting to understand the depth and breadth of mm. Christian thought and the gospel and how that makes a difference for healthcare. And because I'm a psychiatrist, I really care about how the church engages and walks with people with mental health challenges, mm. how the church talks about mental health, how the church sometimes contributes to stigma about mental health, and how the church can be a place of healing. I'm curious, why did you pursue this this calling? What got you interested in this sort of intersection of uh, both medicine but also kind of pastoral care and the theological concerns that sit right at the center of those things? I wanted to know as a Christian what I was doing in medicine initially. I was a first-year medical student at Harvard. I understood that I could understand medical literature on things, but I wasn't sure how to think as a Christian about what I was seeing. Mm, yeah. I spent a couple of days shadowing at an alcohol recovery facility in Boston as a first-year medical student. I heard all these men say things like, you know, I've been drinking, and I hate myself for drinking, and I want to quit drinking, and I hope I'll be able to stop, but I'm not sure I'll be able to. And I left that thinking, I can understand how physicians talk about alcohol dependence or alcohol use disorder as a disease. I can read the literature, but what does that mean about sin? Like, is, are yeah. they describing sin or not? What's the relationship between sin and disease? Yeah. That's a kind of abstract question, but it's also a really practical question. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually then began to read some more on how Christians over the centuries have understood sin, mm. how sin is not just something that we wake up one morning and we decide to do, but it can be a power that binds us and holds us mm. from which we need liberation and mm. grace. Yeah. That was Augustine's view. Yeah. And that maybe the Christian understanding of sin was a lot more complicated than I had ever thought it was before. That made me think, man, the gospel has a lot of depth to teach us. So I'm in medical school. Modern medicine is maybe 200 years old, Hmm. but Christianity is 2,000 plus years old, you know, many thousands of years old, if you think about the God's witness. And there's a lot of depth of thought there, and I wanted to understand that more. Yeah. So that led me to divinity school at Duke, led me to ask a lot more questions about how do we understand medicine and healthcare as power in the New Testament sense, like a, a good created but also fallen power. Hmm. What does it mean for Christians to operate faithfully in the world of healthcare? Hmm. And how do we think about the human being as not just a collection of atoms or a machine that needs to be fixed or somehow put into a factory, but as someone who's loved hmm. by God. Yeah. And how can those of us in healthcare reflect the dignity of caring for people who are made in the image of God? I really just wanted you to talk long enough to say Augustine. I really wanted you to exactly. <coughs> mention him. Yeah, just kidding. That's right. Yeah. Um, Warren, you, you grew up in a Christian home, or did you come to Christ later in life? What's your background there? I did grow up in a Christian home and, and actually was formed and raised and baptized in Southern Baptist Church. And so the Southern Baptist world is deep within me in that mm-hmm. way. I'm Presbyterian now, but still have this deep sense of connection to uh, where the people and the place and the community that formed me in the gospel yeah. at Edwards Road Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Dr. Kinghorn, I want to ask you, as we dive into this issue of how the how Christmas and the holidays are so full of joy for so many, and they should be, as we remember the birth of our Savior 
and yet they can be the gloomiest time and the hardest time for many people. My first question is, um, is really how do we think about, how do we uh, care for people for whom uh, the holidays are really, really hard for them? Well, it is true that the holidays are a time of joy. We celebrate the coming of God into the world, and that is something that Christians can rightfully celebrate. Mm-hmm. It's also true that in some ways the way that we celebrate the holidays isn't how the church over the years has done so. Yeah. We have this like whole month of December or November and December that's all about, you know, parties and gift giving and shopping and all this stuff that yeah. we're supposed to this kind of enforced hmm. consumer celebration. Yeah. Whereas the church over time has not celebrated in the same way. This is actually the time of Advent. Hmm. Yeah. It's the time of waiting. It's the time where we hope for the coming of the Messiah, but we're still waiting and still wondering and still longing. And then when Christmas comes, there's the feast of the coming of Jesus, and then there's this time of celebration that we sometimes think of as the 12 days of Christmas. Mm -hmm. That's how the church over time has celebrated, and I think there's something kind of healthy in that to recognize that before the feast, there's the fast. Yeah. Before the celebration, there's the expectation and the waiting and the longing, because a lot of people in this month in particular find themselves in that place of waiting mm. and longing. That's really, really good. Well said. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the 12 days of Christmas as well, because I hope that's something that over time we can recapture some of yeah. which um, the way in which we celebrate actually begins with Christmas Day, but there's an intentionality of waiting up until that point. Yeah. And, and maybe this is another podcast, Nathaniel, I don't know, but we need to have uh, a good conversation about what it means to celebrate. How do we celebrate yeah. as Christians instead of just how culture sort of encourages us to celebrate things? Yeah. So with that, what are some helpful things that you do and that you say to friends and loved ones who struggle during the holidays? Well, I'm a psychiatrist at the VA hospital in Durham. Uh, a lot of my patients are pretty isolated, not all, but a lot. Some are dealing with really significant family relationship challenges. Some don't have access to housing, and they're literally disconnected from everybody and everyone that they know. Mm. And holidays can be a really hard time for them. I mean, Thanksgiving and going right into Christmas, when everybody else seems to be celebrating, they can feel that aloneness. And of course, it's not just my patients. It's a lot of people feel disconnected and lonely and alone. And I think as a psychiatrist, when I'm talking with patients about this, I just check in about it. Mm. I say like, you know, how are the, how are the holidays for you? Um, What are your, what is this month like for you? And giving them a chance to be able to talk about it rather than just assuming that everybody's in a space of celebration. Right is really important. And and if you ask in that way, just in an open-ended, warm, honest way, like, hey, I know this has been quite a year for you, or I know that you're going through a lot. What are the holidays like for you? Mm. Then that is really good, a place to start. And then I think after that, the question of like, well, what are you hoping for? What do you Mm. need? In some cases, not with my patients necessarily in the same way, but with a friend or with a family member, you might say, what are your plans? Yeah. Like, what are you planning on doing on Christmas Day and on the days and weeks that lead up to it? And thinking about how people can get the kind of connections that we all need throughout our lives, but we especially need around the holidays when Mm. there's this enforced narrative of celebration Mm -hmm. in our culture, and yet when a lot of people are feeling left out of that. Mm. Yeah. So what are some unhelpful things? Uh, I suspect that 
as you've you've already um, kind of mentioned the various ways that culture enforces and sort of presses upon us a certain type of celebration. I suspect that even in the church and even in Christian communities, there are maybe rhythms and patterns that we've fallen into that, that actually are quite unhelpful for those who struggle during the holidays. What are some of those things that we might could be aware of? Well, I think the unhelpful things at Christmas are the things that are unhelpful all the time, but maybe get accentuated at Christmas, yeah. which is that we get so busy that we just are distracted and not focusing on the people around us. We're focusing on getting our shopping done and getting our deadlines finished and getting work things finished before we head out for the holidays. Mm. And we're not actually focusing on those people right around us. Mm. So in this time when people really need to be known and need for people to be able to attend to them and really honestly ask how they're doing is is the busiest time when nobody has the time to be able to do that. Mm. Mm. So yeah. I think part of it is busyness. I think there's also the kind of enforced celebration part that can be really hard. Mm. So if if everybody, and not that everybody feels this way, but if, if people feel like everybody that they're in, engaging with expects them to be happy because it's Christmas yeah. or expects them to be festive and is constantly just, the, the only narrative is that of Merry Christmas, mm. isn't it great that it's the holidays mm. and you don't give people a chance to basically say, actually, things are really hard right now, then that can actually increase people's sense of isolation yeah. and estrangement. I think also with Christmas gatherings and parties, uh, it's just hard for people who are struggling because people feel this cultural pressure to attend and to be present. And sometimes they feel ashamed or like they're made to feel ashamed if they don't show up at parties. But those parties are themselves really hard for people right. to be at sometimes. And right. so, again, I think checking in, helping understand where people are, finding other ways to gather that aren't these big end-of-year holiday parties that take a lot of time and energy, yeah. uh, encouraging people to seek help, all those are important things to do. And the converse of that is to ignore, to assume, to enforce a narrative of celebration yeah. when people just aren't ready for that. It strikes me as you're talking, especially when it comes to not assuming certain things. As much as I love Charles Dickens, um, one thing that I'm just realizing that maybe I've assumed is that either there's only two op- there's only two options. Either you're really happy or you're a Scrooge. Mm. But maybe yeah. that's not the only two options. Maybe yeah. there are some people for whom they're not mad. They're not Scrooge. They're just sad. It's hard for them to remember those who they've lost. Or maybe the holidays were just really difficult times growing up for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, Warren, what, what can the church do here? If you were talking to pastors or church leaders here and thinking about maybe the ways in which they go about celebrating Christmas at their church or their preaching series or uh, Christmas events that they're having, what kind of things would you encourage them to think about as they, as they go about this December? Yeah. Well, one thing I do, as I said in the beginning, is to actually reclaim Advent. Yeah. Not that we can't celebrate during Advent. It's not, it's not about that. But that marking that there's this period of waiting and expectation. O come, O come, Emmanuel, mm. and ransom captive mm. Israel, which you can only really sing if you feel like you're a captive. Yeah. <laughs> and you need liberation, and you need a Savior. Yeah. And so it's in part that awareness of our need for a Savior connecting with that need in ourselves that that actually makes the Christmas celebration possible, mm. makes it something more than just unwrapping presents and paying bills and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it makes it, it makes us feel the coming of the Messiah. Yeah. So Advent can really be a time of, of, of waiting, of longing, of connecting with our longing, and that can be really helpful. One practical thing that a lot of churches do is a longest night service. Uh, because Christmas in our hemisphere happens right around the time of the longest night of the year, mm. uh, it's, and it usually happens right before Christmas. Uh, sometimes the longest night service can be a way 
to mark the fact that the holidays are not times of festivity for everyone, but that there are times when people can often be feeling grief yeah. and loss yeah. and longing, especially intensely. And so churches that mark a longest night service, often on the weekend before Christmas, so right around the time of the longest night, uh, that is a really important validating, encouraging time for people to feel like their experience matters, that they're seen and known yeah. and as part of that. Uh, mm-hmm. I think also more practically, again, uh, this is not something that any particular pastor should be uh, saddled with entirely, because pastors are themselves incredibly stretched around the holidays. And I think one thing is that pastors need to care for themselves and their yeah. own families during the holidays, rather than just being spent with everything else. But churches as a whole need to be checking in with people. Mm. So uh, small groups and life groups and uh, however churches uh, arrange their ability to keep in touch with each other, I think making some contact over the month of December, yeah. checking in with people, how are you doing? I think people just need sometimes to be seen and known amidst all the holiday busyness. Yeah, that's good. So uh, undoubtedly there are some who are listening right now who they are those for whom this is a really difficult time. Yeah. Can you can you just kind of turn the conversation to them directly? What would you say to them personally? I would say for for you, you who are grieving, who are struggling, who are struggling that it's been yet another year and the things that you're hoping for or dreaming for have not materialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is that right now in this moment, God loves you deeply and fully and sees you and knows you and is with you, and, and that in some ways you better than anyone else understand what it was like to live in the time of Israel waiting for the coming of Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what it was like to, to wait with Mary and with Elizabeth uh, and with Zechariah mm-hmm. as they were uh, longing and waiting and knowing and, and not known. You can understand what it was like to be there, to be a shepherd on the outskirts of this small city on this night, dealing with your own pain and loneliness and trauma, and then for suddenly angels to appear. Mm, yeah. You can know what that's like. And and right now God loves you and is with you. Mm. And there's hope for you. And there's people who care about you. Mm. And so continue in the best way you can to seek that kind of connection and know that you're not alone. So um, we're in this, this year at Southeastern, especially with the Center for Faith and Culture, we're focusing quite a lot on formation, Christian formation, spiritual formation, all that goes into that. And so with every podcast, we're asking whoever we're talking to, what has what has this conversation to do with formation? Now, this this one lends itself very well to that, and we've already talked about some of that. But to, to just attack that question directly, uh, how would you make the connections between this conversation and spiritual formation? Well, part of formation, I think, is allowing ourselves to be formed with the kind of time that God provides to us and gives us in uh, the year and in the church. And so what I said about Advent and Christmas, about the need to actually understand Advent as a a gift, as a necessary time of waiting and longing Mm. and expectation, the fast that makes the feast Mm. intelligible and possible, that's a countercultural discipline in our time when beginning at the beginning of November, everybody expects this Christmas celebration to be in full yeah. in full form. But celebrating Advent is a way of actually re-Christianizing the holiday mm. in some ways. Mm. And not to say that it has to all, you know, things have to switch just on December 25th, 
but recognizing that the Advent and Christmas season is a time of longing and satisfaction. It's a time of fasting and feasting. Allowing ourselves to be formed in that way, I think, allows us to see the beauty and wonder and the gift of mm. the coming of Christ for what it really is for us. Mm. I'm reminded of, of course, Paul's warning not to be conformed to the image of this world, but transformed, rather, uh, by the renewing of our minds. And as you were talking about, even time forming us in ways, we are, we're so um, very subtly and uh, invisibly, in many ways, formed into celebrating Christmas in a way that's uh, kind of, as you're saying, it's it's fundamentally unchristian, yeah. and to uh, to subject ourselves in a, in a very healthy sense back to a time of waiting, a time of fasting before the feast, actually is to receive what will be very uncomfortable, mm. and what will be quite inconvenient, and what will be quite strange to our culture, but mm. also receiving that and allowing us to be formed into that image of remembering the Advent and mm. celebrating Christmas, as opposed to being conformed perhaps into a um, a very consumeristic approach, as you as you talked about before. There's a Japanese theologian who wrote a beautiful essay called The Three-Mile-An-Hour Guide, and he says the, the time of God, the speed of God, is three miles an hour, hmm. because that's basically the speed at which humans walk. It's the speed at which Jesus walked. Hmm. And so what would it mean for us to understand the speed of God is three miles an hour hmm. and to walk in the speed that Jesus walked. Amen. Who, who wrote that? Uh, his name is Kosuke Koyama, and the title of the essay, and I think the collection, is Three Mile an Hour Guide. Three Mile an Hour Guide. That's fantastic. That's now at the top of my reading list. <laughs> I'll read it slowly, I promise. Exactly. Um, Warren, thank you so much for joining us again today. Thank you so much, Benjamin. It was really great to be here. Now it's time for On My Bookshelf, the part of the show where professors at Southeastern share what they're reading right now. And since we're getting closer to the Christmas season, we've talked about Christmas this week. We're going to talk about Christmas some more next week. We want to have a special edition of On My Bookshelf, uh, Christmas-themed edition, where Dr. Keith Lee and Dr. Quinn share their favorite Christmas books. And if I understand, we're going to, we're going to play a little game. We're going, to, we're going to shake it up a little bit. Shake I'm going up. to say what I think Dr. Keith Lee's favorites are, and he can do the same with me. And then we'll kind of go back and forth with it. So the prompt is... My favorite Christmas book is, and now it is Dr. Keithley's favorite Christmas book is, I'm going to say it's The Grinch. True or false? Um, close. Uh, Christmas Carol. <laughs> Christmas Carol. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So his favorite book is Christmas Carol. He likes it because he loves the Scrooge character. Uh, I, <laughs> I, think he, I think he's sort of a lovable, lovable sort of fellow. Well, come on, man. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah. So your favorite Christmas movie is, I'm going to suggest that it is The Polar Express. Oh, you were way off on that one. That's, that one's kind of creepy. It's got the whole uncanny valley going on it, though my grandkids <laughs> love it. No, I, I, I think in terms of Christmas movies, I just soon watch It's a Wonderful Life is any of them. In terms of Christmas specials, it's a no-brainer. There's only one that's a truly uh, Christian Christmas special, and that's Charlie, Charlie Brown. Brown. Yeah, I, I, I choke up every time Linus does his yep. thing. And yep. Yeah, so that one's great. All right, your turn. Okay, and uh, so what would be Benjamin Quinn's favorite Christmas book? And I have no doubt it is 
Uh, My Favorite Christmas by Dolly Parton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how did you know? (laughs) Uh, It's really close. It's Christmas Carol as well, actually. Oh, excellent. Excellent. And it's because you like Scrooge so much. No, actually, I just think it's incredibly creative. And it it really is in, in full sincerity. It is a kind of... Uh, what we might call an illustrative type of motivator towards thinking about thinking about the life that we live now in light of um, the kind of uh, eternal deposits that we're making in, in the way that we relate to other people even today. So I just think it's a fascinatingly creative um, story to tell, the way that it's been, the, the renditions of it in so many different types of movies. And I think it's just a great pressure towards um, the way that we live now as ways in which we make proper deposits into the future. Well, there are two things I like about uh, A Christmas Carol. One, Dickens must have had a great deal of fun uh, writing the dialogue for Scrooge. Yeah. I mean, when he talks to the ghost and he says, how do I know you're not just a bad piece of potato that was in my soup? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. There's more of gravy than is grave about you. Right? Yes, that's yeah, 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 that's just fantastic. And then, and then whenever, you know, the ghost says, come with me, and he says, I'd rather not. <laughs> yes, I'd rather not. Yes. And Very the well second said. thing I like about A Christmas Carol is that it is a Molinist Christmas Carol. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you look mm. at the end of it there, where uh, Scrooge asks about the future, and he asks uh, the, the ghost of, of Christmas future, uh, is this the way things must be, or are these the things, uh, the, the way they will be, if nothing else changes? Okay, and you so change, you have you these possible... Mind, I don't like it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got all these possible worlds. That's things why you going like on. It's a Wonderful Life. Well, there you go. Well, there again, there are there two again. sides of the same coin. Right? There, right. there you have it. This is what would happen if you and 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 if you'll notice, it is a fully formed scenario. So it's a it's a complete possible world. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm glad to hear that um, you are a closet Molinist also, <laughs> and that, that and that is wonderful. So tell me, what is your, your favorite you Christmas? You have to guess it. Okay. Oh, I have to guess your favorite Christmas movie. Uh, Home Alone. Man, that's a good... I, honestly, I don't think I could say just one. Yeah. Um, and I'm always torn because some of the most entertaining Christmas movies are just not fundamentally Christian at all, right? <laughs> so it's, yeah. what, are the most, what are the more entertaining and culturally nostalgic type movies versus the ones that are truly Christian? And where, if you say, look, the ones that really honor Christ... Um, Charlie Brown's hard to beat. I mean, it reads word for word the Christmas narrative. Um, but other other movies that are just fun. I mean, how do you not watch Elf? How do you not watch Home Alone? How do you not watch The Christmas Story? Um, how do you not watch? You'll shoot your eye out. You'll sh- yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you how do you not watch Polar Express? That that is actually one of my favorites. I think it's really well done. Yeah, I, it it is an interesting one. Uh, like I said, it. You know, there's there's something about the the animation that I'm less than thrilled with. There's that's true. It, it, it is one of those kind of um, computer animated, and of course Tom Hanks is playing almost every character. <laughs> if you didn't know that, now they you got know. a bang for their oh, buck. Oh, now you spoiled the movie. Oh, yeah. yeah, they got a bang um, for their But it's also it it's I think part of what attracts me so much to it is it seems to me a fascinating illustration of faith seeking understanding. Uh, so we can talk about that on another episode, but I just found that really interesting the first time I watched it. Intriguing. As we wrap this up, can I just make a recommendation for a movie based on what you've what you've said your favorite books are? A Muppet Christmas Carol. You know I that mean, is a remarkably is, good. I forgot uh, about that. edition. Is, that's what's of, remarkably good. Yeah, it's, it's peak cinema. Michael Caine playing the most serious rendition <laughs> of Ebenezer Scrooge while surrounded by a cast of puppets. So, there yeah, you go. yeah, I think that's a good recommendation. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it, and I know you did, 
Give us a five-star rating and review at Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. We'll see you next week.